Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 392 and my guest is Iqbal Khanna. Iqbal was born in Kashmir, India. He has led an incredible, adventurous life from a childhood hiking with the Tenzing Norgay to working in Kolkata with Mother Teresa to running a successful climbing and hiking company in India and then becoming a masterful licensed massage therapist studying with the greatest that there are in spiritual and massage worlds. And he's a really delightful and kind man who sees the world as beautiful and deeply empathic and again and from a really spiritual place he's operating on all cylinders for sure we had a lovely chat during a break uh during his work day you'll hear some sounds in the background some voices and such because he's he's there at his his place of business at what a really cool dude um so happy i got to speak with him and he's just happy happy guy <laughs> i mean i can't even imagine three months with Mother Teresa, uh, that would, I feel, change you deeply at the root of who a person is to, to be around that kind of energy and that kind of person. And honestly, I feel like Iqbal is that kind of person. He radiates something. and It's not otherworldly. It's grounded, but just really beautiful, really, really beautiful. Okay, well, check out heyhumanpodcast.com for links and to learn more about my guests and the show. Check out susanruth.com to learn about me and my other artistic endeavors, of which there seems to be way too many right now. Uh, please follow Susan Ruthism and Hey Human Podcast on social media and find my music on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever you get your music. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening. And thank you for sharing uh, the stories and for being a part of this show. I really appreciate it. Be well, be kind, be love. Here we go. Igbal Khanna, welcome to Hey Human. Thanks. It's so nice to see you. Same to you, dear. Welcome. Let's get into it right away. Tell me where you're from and where you grew up. I grew up in Kashmir, north of India. And I came to U.S. in 1982. And I have a business before I came to U.S. I used to take people hiking up in the Himalayas. And all my trips were anywhere from one week to three weeks hiking up to 16, 15, 17,000 feet. And most of the groups were like anywhere from two people to 15 people. We bring almost, uh, like we have 10 people, we have 50 horses with us. And then uh, all the food, everything is carried on the horses. And if we have somebody who is older, we put them on the horse. And that was kind of trips we did. Uh, then I did also a medical trips from Buffalo Children's Hospital in New York. And we did every year, we had a group of 20 doctors and nurses. We did a research 
in Kashmir and also in Ladakh. What we did, we study, we go, we go, we, we land in Ladakh, which is 11,000 feet of the airport. And we stay there until they climatize. And then next day we start walking up the trails. And it took us four days to three days to get the villages where we do the research. And we, there are mostly people there, they, they go to the hospital, so I knew it takes them two to three days to walk to get the main road. There's no road. We found out in uh, before there were a lot of kids dying on childbirth. A friend of mine who was a Dr. Lee, who was the head of the Children's Hospital of Buffalo, New York, we organized a group of doctors and nurses, and we went there, and we saw it was a very easy problem to solve. One of the villages we saw, there was a midwife. When they were giving the birth, the kids were giving birth, and the sheep live under the bottom of the house, and people live up on the house. And the water, they never boiled the water. When the kids were drinking water or anything, and they were having diarrhea, and they were dying very young age. And another problem we found out, the midwife was, when she was cutting their cord, she used same blade for everything. She washed that, but it was not centralized. And when we taught them and everything, then four years later, we went back. The whole village had changed. The kids had not died that much. And it was really amazing. And then we did the same thing with the different villages where Amchis, the medicine men in these mountains, make their own herbs from the ground everywhere they grow. We watched what they were doing. There were not AIDS. There was nothing. We had all this equipment with us to check everything. They were a lot more healthier than we were. And then we did like 50 people, our medicine, U.S. medicine, and then their, theirs. Then we went two years back. Their medicine worked much better than our medicine. And it was really shocking, but we started doing that almost, we still do it, but we slow down because of the corona. And every year we went different villages, and that's what we did. And uh, even actually it was written even in National Geographic, what we did. And then one of the villages we went, it was a border close to China. It was only 11 miles from the China. We had to, it took us a hard time to get a permission from the Indian government and the army and all that. But finally we got it, it took a couple of months. And we had heard there were also children dying, children dying there. And we figured it out. Why are they dying? Like 10 years or five years before, there were no breeding going on, no horses, no animals going on this land. And they, the government had given, given the, done a favor, build a well, and they were drinking same water. The well was not that deep. It was only 25 feet. It has to be 60 feet. And they were having diarrhea and everything. They were dying. And then we said, okay, what can we do? And we had some local doctors with us. We figured it out, okay, there is a nunnery up in the hill. We checked it out. They had a well there. They, they had really a spring. We said, nobody is sick and the in the nunnery and we said okay what are we going to do we checked it out everything talks at the government next year we went back to us we raised some money and we put a, we put a pipes from the from the spring to the village and we gave them the water whole village then we went back another two years nobody had died clean water is everything that's what we were doing and yeah. it was really amazing how much people you know how many people we saved yeah. Tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up in Kashmir. What was that like? 
when I grew up, and it was very hard because we had no TV, we had no nothing, no phones, nothing. If somebody had a t radio, he was we were going to watch something or listen something like a, any any kind of a game on the on these uh, you know uh, radios. And if you were radio, you were you were well off. And that time I was probably around maybe you know 12, 13. And we used to go to school, and you had no need. Like if you had a pair of shorts, one pair of shoes, you're you're fine. That's those kind of a life. And I live in the boat. I was born in a boat, the houseboat, and my whole family was living in the boat. And we were my grandparents and everybody. They were living in the houseboats. Every winter, we it will freeze. The lake will freeze. We'll, we had to go across the lake to go to the market. We walk on the ice on the lake. It was, but it, life was much better then than it's now. When I worked, my first job, I was going to school in the morning, and then evening I was working in the hotel. For a month, I was getting three dollars paid for a month. Three dollars. Three dollars a month. That was a lot. Three dollars was a lot. I was really always outdoors person. I always like hiking, walking, and everything. Then I had met one of the American, and he said, "Hey, you know, I took him hiking. You know, like." I didn't charge him or anything, you know, it was like just a friendship. And he, he, he really liked me. He said, you know what, why don't we oh, start opening a business? I'll bring some people from U.S. and I'll pay you this much and we'll start business. And that's what we did. And then, uh, then he actually, after I started making some money and he liked me, I was very honest from day one. I told him, hey, and he will send me maybe 15, 20 people uh, in, in a year. But it was not money for me, more than enough money for me to buy another, you know, house for my family and, you know, give them a better life. And that's what I did because I never drink, never waste any money. That's how I was. And things getting better. Then he said, hey, why don't you come visit to U.S.? I'll give you a ticket. I said, hey, no, I don't think my, I'm the oldest in the family. I don't think I can come. And then finally he just said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for everything. And he paid, and when I got to, first I landed in New York. And I was shocked to see how things are expensive, these tall buildings. And then he took me out in the restaurant at evening, and there was a food left after we ate dinner. He said to them, hey, doggy bag. I said, you don't have a dog. And he said, we don't waste the food here. And then in the morning, I woke up, and I see they gave me the same food in the breakfast. I said. This is crazy. India is poor, but I live in, I came to America. They are more, what is this? I was very confused, but I was shocked to see the, the buildings and all, you know, how people live, how many people are in New York. It was shocking. My family wanted me to come back. I said, I'm coming. And finally, I stayed a while in New York, and then I went back to India. And it was totally different. And... Then I, then I start, you know, business start, I opened my own own company, but he was still sending me a people. How many siblings did you grow up with? We were five, three, uh, two, three, two sisters, three brothers. And then when I had made some money, I bought a land about seven miles from the home. And then I built a house and moved everybody in the house. Now we still have the houseboats and have the house and everybody is living in the same house. My mother, my brothers, their wives, their kids, we all live in the same house. I, my goal was to keep all the family together. 
And that was one, one of my, you know, journey, what I did. Then I met Tenzing Norgay, and my friend, uh, actually he was a relative, he was also a very, very big hiker. Then there was another guy whose name was Bob Flemings. He's from Portland, actually. He has written a birds of, book of birds of Nepal. And Tenzing, and he came to Kashmir to do the hiking in Nunenkun, the, the mountain, which is 23,000. And I was there too. I went with them. And my boss was with me. We did the climb down and Nunenkun. He was really very quiet and very, very humble person, you know. He was really more like, a, you know, he was not like proud or anything, you know. He was more, you know, his manners were really great. And it was great to talk to him and watch him, what, how he did it and listen to him how he did it and what happened. And because everybody said it was Edmund Hillary, he went first. But what he did, it was him because he was the sheriff and they thought if he dies first, that's okay. He was the one who was putting the ropes and everything. But in the books, if you see, they say it was Edmund Hillary. And I met also Edmund Hillary too. He came to Kashmir. I met him too. He was, he was very, you know, more like a, you know, British, British type, you know, very, tall and very, you know, because Kashmir was known, mostly we used to have a lot of British tourists, English, but now, you know, people are coming from all over the world, but things have changed now a lot because things have gotten expensive, more modern, everybody has TVs, everybody has cars. When I grow up, if you had a bike, oh God, you were a rich person. But now those days were really nice, but things have changed a lot now. Did in later years, did he acknowledge that Tenzing was first? Nobody, no, he never did it. No, but we know who did it because you have to put the ropes up. You know who did it. And that's, that's how it is always. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's how we, we know that. Can you tell a story from hiking where you were worried for your safety? My priority was always safety. I always had a group of four to five people who I trusted. And when we hike, we hike, like we had a 15 day hike. I always had horses with us in case somebody broke a leg or somebody, it happened once we had, it was a medical group. One of the doctors, he was from actually Scotland. He came in the group, he had come twice in the same group, same group, but different hike. And this time he came, he got a problem with altitude. And we had to, we said, it take us three days how we can carry him back. We tied him in the horses and brought him back to 11,000 feet because this time we were on 14. And we brought him to 11 and took him to the hospital. And he was there three, four days. And then finally, uh, they said he cannot fly until his oxygen level goes better. And then once his oxygen level went better and we could not make him fly, and we drove him back to Srinagar, which took two days by car. And then we sent him back to Scotland. And he's, he, he still is sick. He cannot go up in the mountains, but he's still, he's still okay. What's the highest you've ever been? I've been to 23,000. What's it like to be that high up? Me and a god. <laughs> it was amazing. There's not a anything there you know it was just glacier and the peaks wow. that's what it was it was amazing would you were you considered a sherpa or were you considered a trail guide what was your title 
uh, operator on operator on his on on this side who was handling everything. But in Nepal there are Sherpas, but in Kashmir they call the the leader, and that's whose responsibility is for the giving the the tents, the food, the you know all the arrangements of the people, and that's that's what they call them there. That's a lot of responsibility. It's a challenge too, and I love the mountains. I love the love the nature. And these uh, these hikes we go for seven days, ten days. They have high altitude lakes, and when the when the British old days, they they stocked them with the fish, the trout, and it was it was also one one thing. For, I was looking forward to go fishing there too, while I was working with the tourists, and that's that was a those were the things we did. And nobody ever passed away on the hikes? I have not had anybody passed away and never, but people who did, you know, twist the ankle or those things or broke the arm, fell down, you know, something, but nobody, nobody died. I would imagine more than anything, it's the altitude that gets people. Usually uh, what I do with Kashmir is about, uh, you know, 6,000 feet. We... First nights we stay about seven thousand, then we go eight thousand. We don't want to take them at a time so that they don't get the headaches. Have you ever but been to Everest? I have. I have no need to go to Everest, you know, because it's becoming now like a like a downtown Portland because everybody wants to go. And I was watching the documentary. Every time they go with the oxygen, everything they never bring it back. It's uh, like a couple of years ago there was a world. Uh, organization they took maybe a couple of hundred sherpas to bring the all the garbage back and it was amazing to see how many tons of garbage they brought back and that was a sad thing to that's you know, very sad it was very sad you know not to protect that's one of the things i think all the you know the climate and everything that's because we're abusing it that's that's the problem i go everything in portland i go even if I have to go to, go to a good hike, I just leave at two o'clock in the morning and I go to Mount Hood and I'm back at seven o'clock down to the, down, you know, down is it's, uh, 12,000 feet. And a lot of people die in, in Mount Hood because they don't respect the mountain and they have lost the, you know, the fog or something or they start late, the snow melts and they get tired and all that. They lose the, you know, the, their way back. That has happened a lot. You make a good point about respecting Mother Nature and what she is capable of. Yeah, if you keep it clean, you know, you have to, the environment is everything is, you know, I remember students, the plastic has come more, you know, everywhere is plastic. And if it is a paper, it, you know, it can, you know, it can just go, you know, waste or something. But the plastic it takes you 100 years to go, you know, it cannot, it doesn't, you know, go anywhere. That's the big problem in all, I think, in everywhere. Those, but I, all my stuff, I trained. I said, you know, I'll pay you more, but as long there is no, I, I checked before my camp left, closed, left, there should not be a garbage. There should be anything. And that was one of my, my goals whenever I went hiking. And how old are you? Right now? Right now I'm 71. And you still do these hikes? I still do it. I still do it. I, I can still, it. I can still go. You know, running and anything it doesn't bother me. 
But my hobby is mostly fishing and hiking. I do a lot of fly fishing. Oh, nice. I, I used to do that yeah. with my dad when I was little. Well, you got to come to Portland in May, June is a good time to come. I love that. Tell me the story of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was, it was a very lucky moment for me. I was, I always wanted to meet her. I had read about her and heard the stories. And I had a group of women uh, from the State Department, women high power. There was a Donna Shlela who was, who was the head of the Health and Human Service. And there was, uh, she was also a congresswoman for Miami. And she was first a hunter, president of Hunter College and University of Wisconsin. And then there was Alice Riffin, who was the head of the budget. And then there was a Betsy Livings, who was the first woman dean of law school in Boulder, Colorado. These were the 10, 12 women. They came every year to hike with me up in the Himalayas. They came every year to the different trips. And we were doing hiking in Kashmir and then after our trip. We went to tour to India, North India, and uh, we stayed in a hotel after our tour. They saw the Taj Mahal and all that. Then we stayed in the hotel. It was the last day they had a flight to go that evening. And morning, I was at lunchtime. I got out, and but I had read about Mother Teresa. And I said, I know she's in this town, but I don't know how far. Kolkata is a very big city. And I asked the bellboy at the hotel, he says, you see that white building? That's who she, that's the house she's living in. And then I walk, I had shorts on, and a t-shirt, you know, and I walk, it took me maybe five minutes, six minutes. And then when I got there, I saw this woman there sitting down, changing a diaper of the kid. And I said, I don't think she is the one, she will not change the diaper. But then I had seen the picture and everything. It was a white sari. It had a food everywhere. She didn't care. The gray hair everywhere, plastic shoes, arthritis in the hands. Some nuns came. They said, mother will do it. She said, no, I'm okay. Let me do it. And she, after that, and I, I just said, I said, I, I want to donate some, you know, something. She says, tell him to wait. After she changed the diaper and everything, and I just came and then she asked me where do I live and all that. And I said, I live in Miami and all that. She says, after that, she says, you're not going anywhere. And I said, what is this movie to stay? I have to go home. I have my family and all that. And then, okay, I stay. And I didn't know what to do. And, but I was always interested learning stuff. You know, it was amazing to see what, you know, I had heard about her, I read about her. And then it was amazing to see what she was doing. I said, God, this is a great place. You know, because my grandmother, it reminded me, my grandmother, what, you know, like her, and my grandmother died over, you know, close to 100. And then I stayed and I worked there. My, I said, what's my job? I thought, okay, I'll work in the kitchen. I do all whatever it is. And I was doing everything there. And then I saw her, these kids crying, and she rubs their backs and does all that. And what it, how it calms these kids down. And it was really amazing to see what she could do. And uh, then always she, even she could have, she could have watched it and let the nuns do it. No, she wanted to do it herself. And it was really amazing to see, you know, it changed whole my life because in Miami, I wanted to be a paramedic. I worked only six months in India, but Miami, I was doing a lot of work. And then I said, this will help me. And then when I got, when I, 
left after three and a month. I told her, she says, you're going to work in Miami. I have something to, you're going to help them. She says, I don't need your money. And I have money. They need your help. That's how she said it. And I went to Homestead. There were almost 10 nuns who were working with migrants, helping them out. I did, I worked with them and, and I was driving like maybe 10 miles a day and then work with them. And then I was very interested in helping people because the way God helped me, I wanted to help people. Then there was a study done in University of Miami, Touch for Research. And I said, God, this is good. I got I got a couple of months. So let me do it. And I studied that. Then I start, I worked in Miami with abused and depressed mothers. Most of the mothers were under under 18 with the babies. So this was doing energy work and massage? All the energy work with these women to make them, you know, change that because they were all abused and depressed depressed and all that and work with them almost six months and then I did another study it was same done in the, the hospital in Miami in Jackson I did that and it it was really I even got there was one say one mother she was 17 had three kids I almost end up adopting the one kid and I said oh my god can I do this and I could not do it. The kid was got too attached to me. And it was hard to let go. In massage therapy, there's a lot of energy that's going around during that. What is your experience when you go in with a client? How do you how do you take on that energy and not take it on all at the same time? What it is, one thing I learned my thirty-eight years of working in this it's not the massage, it's the energy. And also, if you have a problem in home, never bring in uh, in that room. Leave it outside. As a therapist, you mean? As a therapist, leave it outside. Doesn't matter what kind of therapist you are. Leave all your problems out because people can feel the energy. And listen to the body. And the touch, the touch is more than a touch. What touch can do, the medicine cannot do that. The touch has that much power. And God has given me a gift. So far, I've seen over 13,000 people. Wow. I have never had any problems. And now it's becoming a more, not my big priority, the money, the helping the people. Even, even a lot of my people, I said, if you don't have money, you don't need to pay me. You can come. Do you think that humans are starved for human touch? They are very much so because because the culture we live here is very different. It's a very different culture than like we have. Like if I go home, my mother, you know, I'll sleep with my mother. Here they cannot do that. My mother was not feeling well. I slept with her all three weeks when I was in India before I came. And those kind of things, you know, are very, it was it what it gave me, you know, it gave me a peace. I wanted to pay her back some, somehow. But, you know, that's, those kind of things are really, really powerful. That's what I learned on my, on my work. And Mother Teresa's, uh, the fact that she 
her belief system was that touch really helped these children. Is that where that planted the seed for you? That was amazing what she could do. And I, she said, don't, don't see what people give you. See what you can give them. That was the amazing thing what I learned. But I learned a lot from her, and I thank her for that. And I'm in a really a great place where I learned from her. I don't know. I could have, you know, I could have been that, you know, anybody, but I, I got a chance, you know, it was meant to be. It was the right time. I'm sure she saw something in you. She did thought something because usually people came with uh, truckloads of rice, truckloads of sugar. She never even talked to them. She said, just leave it there. She saw something, you know, what made her know this guy is real. He's not, you know. Then we did talk about my grandmother, you know, how I raised and all that, where I am, where I was, you know. Remember, always, you know, help people no matter what it is. It's not the money. If you can, somebody falls, pick them up. It's not, you know, you're not giving, you just help them up. That's, mm -hmm. you know, take them water, don't, and don't ask the questions. If you can give, don't ask the questions. I learned a lot from her. And that's what is, that's where it, that's what keeps me going. And that's what, that's where I am right now doing on my work. What do you think about God? What are your thoughts on faith and God and spirituality? There's only one God. He's everywhere. You know, we all, we all, when we came, we came from nothing. And we, when we go, we go back for nothing. There's nothing we take back. We don't take back cars, houses, nothing. That if we remember every day that, we'll be a really a great people. But we don't remember that. We think, oh, I have a red car. I drive fast. I do speed. No. Remember, we all have to go in the same place. Whether you are rich, poor, you are in the same place, no matter what you are. This place is just, you know, just a dream. It's not the real. You know, real is what you have when you die. That's, that's what I, you know, always think about it myself. Whatever you give, you get, you know, back and all those things I do believe in. That's what has also, you know, kept me, you know, whatever I am now today. My plans are probably helping people as much I can and give, teach some people what I have and give them what I have. You know, even whether they are my clients or they are my co-workers, explain them, hey, you know, do what you can do here in the end, it will pay you back. If not here in the end, God will give you back. And that's my Do you get to see your family much back in India? I go back every two, three times a year. Because I'm very close to my family. I'm the oldest one and anything happens there, I have to make a decision. Even from here, they cannot make it. And that's, that's, a, that's what it is. That's the rule with the parents. Nowadays, people separate, do all that. But I try to keep all my family together. That's, that's my goal until, you know, they can, until I can. That's how, that's how I live. When you look back on your life, which in my opinion is extraordinary, you've had so many incredible adventures and met fascinating people. Uh, I mean, that must 
when you look back, you must scratch your head and think, what, what was all that? <laughs> Sometimes I know when I go fishing, I know I sit on the river, I think, okay, what was I, what would I have I been? What would have happened? It, it comes to me, but then I say, you know what? It was meant to be, you know, that's what God sent me here to do. You know, that's what I have to do, you know, protect the river, protect the mountains. That's what, and even here, sometimes I go fishing, I find a paper, so I find anything. I just put it in my pocket and take it back. I still do it. You know, it's really, really, that's, 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 has not gone away. That's always with me. Even in home, I pay kids. When I go back, I pay the kids to clean all around the houses and everything. When I go home, if there's any garbage, they know I'm coming. When I come, it's a spotless. They know he's going to be, he will not be happy. And I teach all my family, relatives, everything. I said, you know, if you keep it clean, even the dog, when dog sits, he cleans first. You know, and I tell them the same thing. I said, you know, I make them guilty, but they do keep it clean as much as, you know, they can. Whenever I see litter, it makes me crazy. It seems the ultimate form, the ultimate sign of disrespect is when people litter. Because God gave you this all this, this beauty. You have to protect it. You cannot destroy it. You know, let others enjoy it too. That's, that's my goal. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for, for telling your story. It's really lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Tell people how they can find you. Oh, they can find me, my, you know, my name and Iqbal Khanna. They can go on that or, or my, you know, my email, whatever they want. You're the best. Thank you, dear. Love you. Love you too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everybody. Keep in touch. <laughs> I will. Okay, dear. Bye-bye. Bye, dear. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.